Friends, today we're going to be finishing up our sermon series on the book of Romans. And remember, we're calling this series, Who I Am. Who I Am. And when we started this series about four weeks ago, Pastor Dave, he reminded us that the early church in Rome was facing a bit of an identity crisis, right? Because you had these these established Gentile churches with their own systems and ideas, but then you also now had these Jewish people returning with their own systems and ideas, and the two weren't mixing. It was kind of like oil and water. And so what Paul does is he writes this letter to the Romans in part to help the early church navigate the situation that they find themselves in. And he does so by going back to the basics, the the core of the faith, and explaining who we are, who we now are as Christians. And so today we're talking about grace. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are people that stand in grace. God's word to us this morning, it comes from Romans chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 to 11. And what we're talking about today, it's, it's almost like the other side of the coin from last week's sermon. Remember, last week we were talking about everything that God does for us, and we're still talking about that today, but now from, from a different perspective. Last week was about the certainty that we have in God's promises, and today is about the certainty of our place in God's family. And you know, there's so many different things that Paul covers in these 11 verses that we couldn't possibly get to all of them today, but they all sort of boil down to one key idea. They all fall under one main heading, if you will. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, We stand in grace. And so follow along as we read God's word together this morning. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I brought something with me today. It was kind of big, so it wasn't easy to find a spot to hide it. So I'm going to grab that really quick here. Uh, 
This is what I brought. Are you ready? It's a mirror. It's a mirror. Probably not the most exciting prop I could bring in. Why? Well, because let's face it, we all have mirrors all over the place, right? They're in our houses, they're in our cars, they're in department stores, they're at school, they're, they're even in our bathrooms, right? We have mirrors everywhere. And why do we have them? What do we use mirrors for? Well, most often, most often it's because we want to see what everybody else sees physically when they look at us. We want to know how we look to everybody else. We do. It's, it's only natural. And you know, sometimes when we look in the mirror, it can make us feel better about ourselves, right? Maybe you look and you see you have a, a piece of lettuce stuck in your teeth, and so you get that out. You, you feel better. You know that's not there anymore. You see a hair out of place. You tuck it back where it's supposed to go. But other times, looking in the mirror isn't always so fun, right? It can make us feel worse because the longer we look, the more imperfections we start to see in ourselves. Here, let me show you what I mean. When I look in this mirror, I see, well, my teeth, they're not as white as I remember them. Uh, Got a few bags under my eyes, probably because I lost an hour of sleep last night. Couple blemishes. Oh, and I see that when it comes to the war being waged on my scalp, my skin keeps advancing and my hair keeps <laughs> retreating. I'm no military general, but friends, I don't think that bodes well for me long term. <laughs> right? Let's face it sometimes the longer we spend looking in the mirror, the more imperfections. We start to see in ourselves. And that creates a problem for us as human beings. It it really does, because as humans, we fear rejection. We do. It started all the way back in Genesis, right? We sinned. The first thing we did, we hid from God. We didn't want to be rejected. And the fallout from that broken relationship with our Heavenly Father, it is still playing out in our lives today. It just is. And you know, friends, for as hard as it sometimes is to look in the mirror and and wonder what other people see physically when they look at us, if we're brutally honest, if we're brutally honest, that's nowhere near as hard as it is for us to look in the mirror and to ask what God thinks of us, right? We don't like looking in that mirror. Because oftentimes, the the longer we spend looking, the more we start seeing a person staring back at us who's made too many mistakes, who's got too many sins and stains, maybe who's not as brave as they pretend to be. And eventually, if we look long enough, all we see is someone who's far from perfect, maybe someone who thinks things we'd be embarrassed for anyone else to hear. Or maybe someone who's been battling the same old sins their entire life and just doesn't seem to be making any progress. Friends, we don't need anyone else to accuse us that often, right? Our conscience does that for us. Because every single one of us, every single one of us, if we look in that mirror, if we really look, 
Eventually we walk away asking ourselves, God, how could you ever love me? How could you ever accept me? How could you not just give up on me? I'm way too far gone. You know, as a chaplain, I saw this all the time. I won't go into details, but so many of us, I'd say all of us, at different times in our lives, every single one of us is haunted by that same question, where do I stand with God? Am I actually okay? Is there hope for someone like me? Who am I in God's eyes? It's a tough question. It's a painful question. And as Christians, it's one that we sometimes get wrong. And that's why we're talking about it today. We're talking about who we really are in Jesus, who we really are. Because God's word tells us quite a few things about who we now are. And so let's see what he has to say. The first thing, friend, because you belong to Jesus, the first thing you get to say when you're looking in the mirror is I am justified. I'm justified. I know that's a big word, but what it basically means is I am declared righteous. Okay, that's kind of a big word too. I'm I'm declared not guilty. Our status before God has changed. Verse one, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Greek, that word justified, it's dikaio, dikaio. And what that means is to acquit, to remove guilt, even to cause you to be in right relationship. And you have to understand, friends, that is a huge deal. It was a huge deal for the early church back then, and it is still a huge deal for us today. Because in ancient Jewish theology, They said, there's going to be this coming final day of judgment. And on that day of judgment, you're going to get one of two possible sentences handed down to you. Either you'll be justified, you'll be declared righteous, not guilty, or you'll be be condemned, declared guilty, and punished. But you see, the way they saw it back then was that that day of sentencing, that was way off in the distant future. That was going to happen on the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. And when you think about it, what it meant for them, what it meant for all people, was that when you looked in the mirror, so to speak, you never really knew where you stood, and you weren't going to know until that coming day of judgment. Which means that you had to go through life trying to be good enough, but always wondering if you actually were good enough. You had to live your life in constant fear of measuring up to God. You don't need me to tell you, that's terrifying. But that's how they understood it under the old Jewish system. And I'm guessing we all can relate. Because all of us at different times in our lives, we walk around with that same fear right inside us. Am I good enough? Where do I stand before God? But you see, friends, God's word tells us something so 
radically different. Now, don't misunderstand me. It still says there's going to be a day of judgment, and it still says some people will be declared righteous, some will be declared condemned. That part hasn't changed. But here's what has changed. Here's what has changed because of Jesus. We don't have to wait. We've already been given our verdict. Because of Jesus, God says we are not guilty, not anymore. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means, friends, that we don't have to live in this constant state of fear. We don't have to worry about where we stand before God. We don't have to worry about what his final verdict for us is going to be on that coming day of judgment because he's already given it to us. He's already declared us not guilty in Jesus. And our sentence and our status will not ever be changed. Which means, like verse 1 says, we have peace with God. Not a future peace, not a distant one day, hopefully, maybe peace. No, we have peace with God even right now. Because in Jesus, who am I? I am justified. And even more, in Jesus, I'm also redeemed. I'm redeemed. That's kind of like the proof, if you will. The proof that our status with God will never change. Verse 6, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So what's Paul saying? Well, he's saying that Jesus died for us, and even more, he's saying that Jesus didn't die for just anyone. No, he died for the ungodly. In the Greek, the word is asebes, asebes. And it's people who live without any regard for God. It's people who want nothing to do with God. In other words, Jesus didn't die for us, friends, when we were making a really good effort at being a Christian. He didn't die for us when we had our lives, you know, fairly well put together or when, when we were mostly on the right track. No, Jesus actually died for us when there was absolutely nothing we could do, nothing about us to make God love us and nothing within us to make God want to give up his son for us. And you see, that's what it means when Paul says that Jesus died at just the right time at the right time. Why was it the right time? Because God sent Jesus to die for us when we could do 0% of the work. So Jesus had to do 100% of it. And do you see what that means for us, friends? It means that in those moments of our lives that we all go through, when we look in the mirror and we see all our flaws and failures and we're racked with guilt, and we wonder if we've somehow fallen out of God's grace because we've messed up too big, we've messed up too many times, probably both. Friends, in those moments, especially in those moments, we can look to Jesus and be reminded again that God did all of this for us, already knowing full well who we were and who we would become. 
And if he was willing to die for you and me when we were his enemies, or as verse 8 puts it, while we were still sinners, then there is absolutely nothing, nothing we have done, nothing we are doing, nothing we ever will do that can ever make us fall out of his love and mercy and grace because he has redeemed us in Jesus. He's purchased us. God knew exactly what he was buying and he chose to buy us just the same. That's why we don't say I redeemed myself based on my own worth or deserving. No, what do we say? I am redeemed through no contribution of my own. And along those same lines, we also say, I am reconciled. I'm reconciled. Verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? And you see that word reconciled, it means being brought back together. Back into relationship with God. It's God's adopting us into his family. And Paul's saying that if God was so full of goodness and love and mercy and grace that he wanted, that he desired, that he longed to bring us back to him in Jesus, even when we wanted nothing to do with him, even when we weren't his children, then now that he has adopted us, now that we are his kids, really what wouldn't God do for you and me today? What wouldn't he do for us? Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Friends, he's our father. And don't misunderstand, he's not our earthly father. He's not an imperfect father. He's not a father that's going to let us down sometimes. He's not a father that might give up on us. He's not a father that's gonna mistreat us, who's gonna scream at us, who's gonna put himself first. No, he's our perfect heavenly father. He's a father unlike any this world has ever seen, which means that as our father, he's gonna gently teach us. He's gonna build us up and he's gonna personally see to it that each one of us becomes the person that he has called us to be. Why would he do that? Because we're his kids and he loves us. He loves us. We're part of his family, so we get all those amazing things that come with being part of his family. What does that mean? It means being reconciled, friends. Each of us, we now get to say, hey, hey you know the God of the universe? Guess what? He's my dad. I matter to him. He cares about me. He wants his very best for me. He knows what worries me. He, he knows what I'm like, and he still wants to spend time with me. He's never going to leave me because he loves me, because in Jesus, I am reconciled. And best of all, best of all, at least in my opinion, in Jesus, we now also get to say, I am righteous. I'm righteous. What does that mean? It means we are covered 
with Christ. We are clothed with Jesus. As verse 9 says, we have been justified by his blood. We're covered by his blood. You see, this is so important. Don't miss it. This is so important because don't get me wrong. It is incredible that God justifies us, that he redeems us, and that he reconciles us. It's incredible on its own. It's even more incredible when we consider how broken each one of us are. But for as amazing and incredible as that is, that doesn't change how we feel about ourselves, does it? It doesn't change that disheartening picture we see staring back at us in the mirror. On its own, that doesn't take away our intense feelings of shame and guilt and unworthiness. And that just won't do. God doesn't want any of his kids to feel that way. He doesn't. And so even here, God changed things in Jesus. You see, because we belong to Jesus, because we're covered by Jesus, God no longer sees our brokenness. He doesn't. I know that's hard for us to wrap our minds around because he's God after all, but, but he doesn't. The theological term for this is imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness. It's one of my favorites. And the reason is it means that when God looks at you and me, he no longer sees our brokenness. He only sees Christ's righteousness. Jesus' perfection. What does that mean? Well, friends, it means God doesn't say, you know, I'm going to forgive you, sure, but I still know how awful a person you are. No. What does God now say to us in Jesus? Hebrews 8, 12. I will forgive your wickedness and I will remember your sins no more. No more. You see, if you belong to Jesus, all that stuff in your past, all that stuff going on in your present right now and all that stuff that you're still yet to do, Listen, in God's eyes, that doesn't define you. Not anymore, because God says, you are my beloved child no matter what. And nothing can ever change that. Because Jesus won you the place in my family that you could never win on your own. And again, don't misunderstand, friends. It's not because God's willing to bend the rules it's not because God's willing to let sin go unpunished or that he's, he's okay sometimes turning a blind eye. Not at all. That would go completely against everything about who God is, his nature, his character, his goodness, his justice. Not at all. It's because all those sins have already been fully paid for in Jesus. Do you hear me? God doesn't hold a grudge against any of our sins. Why? Because there is no debt left outstanding. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 60, it puts this so beautifully. I'm going to throw it up on the screen for you. Just listen. I'll read it for you. It asks, how are you righteous before God? And it answers, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Hear this. Even though my conscience accuses me, of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, of never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, even though that's what I see. <clears throat> Nevertheless, without any merit of my own, 
out of sheer grace. God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Hear this, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift with a believing heart. Friends, do you accept it? Do you believe it? Do you get it? Do you get it? You see, when God looks at us, he doesn't see any scars. He doesn't see any traces of our sin and guilt. He only sees Christ's perfection now credited to us. Why Hebrews 10, 14? Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Which means that we're not just saved from God's wrath, as amazing and incredible as that is. But friends, even more, we're saved from God feeling angry toward us. We're saved from God being disappointed in us. We're saved from needing to feel ashamed and carry around this heavy weight of guilt. We're saved from being defined by each of our mistakes because God no longer sees those mistakes. And again, there was a time when he did. There was a time when God saw those mistakes, but every single one of them, every single one of them was nailed to the cross because Jesus drank the full cup of God's wrath. As Charles Spurgeon, famous theologian, once said, and he is just so on point, when Jesus drank that cup of God's wrath, he drank damnation dry. He didn't leave a single trace or residue of sin or guilt behind in that cup. Which means, friends, that when God looks at you and me, he no longer sees our mistakes. No, all he sees is his beautiful, perfect child. That's what it means to be covered in Christ's blood because in him we now get to say, I am righteous. And in him, each of us gets to say, I am standing in grace. So when you stand in front of that mirror, what do you see? Do you see a terrible person with too many stains and too many sins? Or do you see someone completely loved and cherished by God? Friends, if we can only see ourselves the way God sees us, because we see our brokenness, God sees Christ's righteousness. We see someone to accuse, God sees someone to adore. We see someone warped and ugly because of sin, but in the words of our choir, God, he only sees our fairest Lord Jesus, our beautiful Savior. And standing in grace means remembering that in Jesus, I am justified. In Jesus, I am redeemed. In Jesus, I am reconciled. And in Jesus, I am righteous. At the end of the day, standing in grace means admitting that if God has forgiven me, then I have no right to condemn myself, not any longer. 
Standing in grace means remembering that we get to approach that day of judgment with confidence. As the author of Hebrews says, with, we get to approach God's throne of grace with boldness. Because we know that when we see God face to face, we're not going to see a face of anger and disappointment. We're only going to see a face of pure love. So friends, look in the mirror and see yourself the way God sees you. Let God's voice drown out your own voice of doubt, of self-hatred, and of condemnation. Because you don't have to look at yourself that way. Not anymore. Not in Jesus. And so instead, let's all deny ourselves. Let's deny our old ways of looking at us. Let's take up our crosses. Let's take up the forgiveness he has won for us. And let's follow him, clothed in his righteousness and standing in his grace. Because as God's word tells us, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just praise and thank you for the wonderful grace you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that each one of us, we know how broken we are. We know how far, how far we fall short. And yet in Jesus, you have chosen to love us just the same. So Lord, wash over us with your grace. Help us to live each day knowing just how loved and cherished we are by you. And help us to follow you faithfully all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.